Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, we are back on the Claptrap for another episode, ready to, you know, just kind of get through this one, in all honesty. I'm here with Andrew. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing going into, uh, going into this week? How you, how you doing? A lot of mixed emotions, honestly. I'm all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I completely understand that. I've been talking about it so far this week as if this is just going to be the kind of week from hell and the episode that I just need to get through, get to the other side, and then we can move on and we'll be on to tech, the Texans before we know it. But this is going to be mainly, if not only, about the Patriots, the Patriots versus Broncos, uh, uh, Broncos, uh, <laughs> the Patriots versus Buccaneers matchup, uh, and then obviously the the departure of Brady from New England and everything that everybody wants to get into here. We'll get into all of that stuff during this episode here. And yeah, I, I can't help. I'm sure you'll be able to tell by the way that I'm speaking that I'm just kind of down and out about this whole thing. I'm ready for the butt kicking that we are about to endure as Patriots fans. And I, I think that, you know, it, it is what it is. But before we get into that whole side of things, we did have a game last week. And I unfortunately feel a part of that game last week was our team, the Patriots, looking forward maybe to the Buccaneers. So I wanted to get, first of all, just your thoughts of the overall horrible performance by the Patriots against the Saints, where, where you're at with that, that whole game breakdown there. How are, you, how are you feeling kind of about the game overall after watching it and then at the end? Very discouraged. I mean, obviously there were some personnel problems. You have uh, your backup right tackle getting beat by a safety corner, whatever C.J. Gardner-Johnson is listed at these days, who knows. <laughs> but he got absolutely steamrolled, and that's a right tackle by a defensive back. Um, obviously we had the Johnu Smith miscues that seemed to never end. Ugh. And I honestly, I could live with all that stuff because it's, hey, that's just one bad game. The guy didn't show up that day. Whatever. To me, the deeper issue here is the coaching. I, I never thought I would actually be saying this, but like you look at what we were doing on both sides of the ball schematically, and it was very concerning because it makes me think, hey, this isn't something that can just be fixed by, oh, you know, these, these guys are going to have a better week next week. It's an overall philosophy. I mean, a few plays that stood out to me specifically, uh, the Saints converted on a third and one. I forget which receiver they completed the short pass to, but... We had J.C. Jackson, your number one corner, on third and one, playing seven or eight yards off. What, what did you think was going to happen there? <laughs> what, what, what is going on with that kind of call? And the other thing, just on the offensive side of the ball, we're basically running a vanilla preseason offense. You know, it's, mm -hmm. what, what are we doing here? O open up the playbook. Stop it with the toss plays. Yeah, I, I saw you and I saw you uh, tweeting about that too. That is a frustrating part of uh, what this game plan has been. And then obviously in the red zone, it feels as though as soon as we even get there, if we ever do get to the red zone, they're just really bottling up Mac Jones, not allowing him to throw. There was multiple times where you just had Brandon Bolden, of all people in the game, getting snaps at the goal line or close to it. Very frustrating overall. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think as Patriots fans – it's been a long time coming of us just under or, or having the feeling that our coaching staff is going to be able to outdo the other team every single week. I think at this point right now, whether it's due to the fact that I, I hate to say, and I don't think that this is true, but maybe Belichick has lost a little bit of his fastball. It's either that or the people that he has put around him in his coaching staff are just not the level or caliber that we're used to on this team. And that, you know, coupled with the fact that we've brought in a bunch of free agents, 
this is just a not a well-coached team. I think that we can both agree on that. That's uh, that's where we're at right now. It's it's one of the most frustrating parts about all of this. Like you said, it, you can get get over all the other stuff, the miscues and things like that, if you know that your team is going to be well-coached going into the next week. This this team, I mean, I just don't have any faith in the you know the the Steve Belichick's of the world and you know these other guys that are getting major coaching roles, and it's clearly a, a mistake right now, right? It, it kind of seems like that. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, granted, Steve Belichick is more on the inexperienced side on defense, so you could you could almost overlook that, considering that it's you know that's where his father made his money early in his career. So it's like, all right, Bill, we trust Bill to fix the defense. He can do that. It always gets better as the season goes on unless we're dealing with injuries. That's how it's always been since Belichick's been in town. Right. The problem to me that's the most shocking is that one of the most seasoned coaches, Josh McDaniels, is one of the guys that's kind of becoming the problem. And I, I hate even saying that because you know we, we've been blessed to have him as an offensive coordinator for such a long time. He has been really good for us. But you can't look at the play the last – three, maybe four years, and tell me that his offense hasn't become stagnant and predictable. No, it, it, I, I agree with you. That's another great take that you had. I, I saw that one online as much as I hated it because it's so true. I, I think I will say that part of it I want to, at least from the offensive side of things, blame on the fact that we don't have Dante Skarnecchia in here anymore. We don't really have a good offensive line coach whatsoever. The other one, I forget his name, uh, but he he like refused to get the, the vaccination, so I think he was out. I keep blanking on his name, but anyways, the offensive line play has been terrible. I know you have Trent Brown being out, but when you've got uh, you know guys like Dan Heron, uh, like or, or Justin Heron, sorry, um, getting eight or or letting eight pressures up in the game, it's just not acceptable. Like you said, I believe uh, a safety basically ran him over at one point. Uh, ridiculous. It didn't. Uh, he didn't allow any sacks technically, but to let up eight pressures in that game. Uh, along with the other uh, players on the offensive line, even David Andrews allowed four, uh, and, and you know, overall they allowed 16 total pressures on the quarterback. You're not going to be able to get much going with that happening. No, and I mean, especially where it's you have a rookie quarterback. Like he's still getting used to the pro game. Like he's adjusting to the speed of everything, and you you have to take steps to protect him. And obviously, when it's coming from the interior with somebody like David Andrews, it's very very hard to do that. Obviously, because there's really nobody else there when you have Damian Harris who's struggling in pass protection. Mm -hmm. But you you can these guys coming off the edge, you can scheme scheme ways to slow them down. You can have your tight ends chip them. You can have the running backs chip them. Just to slow them down, buy them another half second, even though they're probably just going to run right by Justin Heron anyways. <laughs> but at least slow them down to give Mac time to say, oh, hey, he's coming. Get rid of the ball. Right, right. I mean, we uh, how many damn tight ends do we have on this team? You can't have anybody chipping anybody? I, I, or, or, or maybe you're trying to, and what, Jonu Smith's just running through it? I, I know that Hunter Henry can block, but I, I don't know. It's... Uh, it's certainly something that needs to be looked into, and I'm frustrated about it. I, uh, you know, like we keep saying, or we have said in this segment at least, it's going to be a coaching issue going forward. Will they be able to figure it out? I don't know, but let's pick that back up after we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Clap Trap. So I am talking, having a great conversation with my buddy Andrew. I don't know if I can actually even call it a great conversation because I'm so down and out about where this damn Patriots team is right now after a horrible uh, Saints beatdown, basically, that just happened. I mean, not basically. It did happen. You, you lose 28-13. to 13. You can't call it anything other than a beatdown. Now, I, I mean, I know there were certain circumstances. 
excuse me, clearing my throat, sounding like Tom Brady over here. I know that there's been some certain circumstances in the game, like the obvious John o. Smith dropped directly into, uh, I don't even remember, who, which cornerback was that that took that back? Was it Lattimore or was it, who was it? I'm not sure. I, I actually don't remember that either. Which I yeah. think I just looked away as soon as it happened because I was so disgusted. I said, "Oh, that's going back for six. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, you put it, you put it a little bit in front of him, admittedly, but then he dives out for it and knocks it straight up into the air, right into the Saints' hands. Easy pick six there. So that's going to put you in a bad position. The other picks, I mean. I would say there was one that was more on Max side of things, and then he had two that were not really his fault. He had a couple of really bad drops uh, in the game that had it, it, you know, it, it really tough for him. But overall, when you can't get a rush game going, when you can't, when the script has to be turned and flipped because of these interceptions or whatever you want to say with the the pick six and things like that, getting you into a position where this player was going to have to throw. I know everybody wanted to open up the playbook and let him throw all over the place, but you kind of just saw with fifty dropbacks and him passing all over the place or trying to. It can, I mean, he's he's looked great so far, best of the rookies so far. But are you a little worried about how he was kind of? handling that situation having to throw so many times uh, or do you think it's just kind of a game script you know he got forced into a position he didn't want to be in and that's why you have that type of a game overall for Mac Jones I, I think a lot of it had to do with game script you know he he for the most part for a rookie well not even for a rookie just in general he's pretty poised in the pocket you know he yeah obviously isn't making reads at like a Tom Brady type level I mean who really is right. but um you know, they had one particular drive that stalled where I, I forget the exact numbers, but I believe he was something like eight for nine and maybe like 73 yards on the drive passing. Mm -hmm. And they get up into the red zone, Saints 11-yard line, first and 10, ran the ball to Bolden for zero yards, ran the ball to Bolden for a loss of a yard, <laughs> threw a screen pass to John Smith. And I mean, just like the red zone offense is ranked dead last in the league right now. And it's not close. We're way behind the Jets, and the Jets have been abysmal on offense. Yeah, that was uh, that was another uh, great tweet that I saw from you. Is is this what this feels like to follow the Jets I don't, or be a fan of the Jets? I, it's just, I, I don't know, it, it, the ineptitude in the red zone, whether it's just not trusting or whether I, they really just, I don't know, don't believe that he can do it, what, what they're easing him into it. They think that their run game can work better inside of the red zone. I don't really get what it is. Like you said, a couple to bold in there. That's maybe because they don't have Ramondre Stevenson in there, so you can't get another running back. And I'm sure Damian Harris maybe was tired at the time. We don't want him going back out there. We've experienced that earlier in the year when he's tired. He might lose a football. Not even necessarily his fault in that scenario. But anyways, you put Bolden in there and you actually run it with him twice. I don't. I. I just don't understand the play calls. You have multiple tight ends. You have big bodies that you can put into that end zone and try and do something. The only major play that Mac Jones was able to make was that Kendrick Bourne pass down the sidelines when he had a little quick two, maybe one and a half foot uh, drop and then kind of, uh, you know, jump tossed it to him there. That was a little bit ridiculous, but... You know, they, they just do not want to pass inside the red zone. I, I don't. Do you think it'll change at any point? Do you think it's a, a matter of opening the playbook, or, or what even is it? I, I think it has to, because I, I did notice after one particularly bad drive, um, it was on the broadcast, it looked like Bill Belichick grabbed Josh McDaniels and kind of pulled him to the side. It looked like he gave him a little bit of a stern or frustrated, whatever you want to call it, talking to. Good. And I think he's maybe telling him, hey, like, you, you got to stop with this. Like, like, use your head here. Like, okay, if you want to run the ball, fine. But don't use your fourth string running back in Brandon Bolden, running him directly behind your right tackle, who's a backup and your worst offensive lineman, directly at Cam Jordan. That is not, that is not a recipe for success. 
No. That is going to fail 10 times out of 10. Yep. And yeah. I think a lot of it is, like, you just, you have to let Mac throw the ball. I mean, you can't be one-dimensional in the red zone. We saw that last year with Cam Newton. Like, we, everybody knew Cam Newton cannot throw the ball. Right. So we saw the types of defenses that we did and didn't really convert into any points. Now, granted, we can throw the ball. We're choosing not to, and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah I, it's, it's really tough right now to watch. Um, now, I do still believe in my heart of hearts that this team was technically not built for Mac Jones, regardless of the situation that happened. And I know that nobody really wanted Cam Newton as the quarterback, but I think we kind of went into this year building a team for a run first and play defense style of ball. I am still not convinced that any of our wide receivers are actually legit in any fashion. I like Kendrick Bourne. I think he's, you know, a solid player, I guess, maybe as like a three or four at best. Uh, you know, Jacoby Myers is great, great story, uh, undrafted, all that, love it, but I still see him making mistakes. I still see him having drops and, and, and bad situations there as well. So they do have the tight ends. You're trying to use it. Jonu Smith absolutely had a, a horrible game with those drops and everything like that. But I, I don't know. I just don't think that this team is necessarily made to be able to pass the ball. I could be completely wrong on that, but you're giving a rookie quarterback very bad uh, wide receiver weapons. How are you even trusting? Maybe it's not even that they're not trusting Mac. Maybe it's they're not trusting their wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, that could be part of it. I mean, it's not like you have any elite separators on the right. team. You know what I mean? You have some, like, Jacoby Myers, very shifty slot guy, excellent at finding, like, the soft spot in the zone, things like that. But, I mean, I mean, he can beat some man-to-man -man coverage, too, but he's kind of... He's kind of limited because he doesn't have that high-end speed to really threaten you vertically. So you mm -hmm. kind of know most of his stuff is going to be in-breaking routes at some point along the line, you know. Um, so that be kind of becomes easy to defend. And to get back to your point about do we even know if this team was built for Mac Jones, I don't think it was because when we were attacking free agency, we didn't know we were getting Mac Jones. Right. We had no idea that he was coming, that he was going to fall to pick 15. I think, and it's very telling with the two tight ends, is that it was it was built for Cam Newton because Cam Newton has always excelled running the ball, you know, bootlegs off of play action and attacking the seams with tight ends, and they went out and got two tight ends. Yeah, it's, exactly. You you gave him the the two safety blankets that Cam Newton likes to use. You didn't really get any wide receivers out there because you knew you weren't going to be really threatening to throw the ball all over the field at any point. Now all of a sudden Mac Jones gets thrust into the situation because Cam Newton isn't reliable, and you've got this team that's built to run. And you got a poised rookie quarterback that you want to be able to get back there and throw, but I don't know if you can trust any of his receivers at this point. I, I mean, I, I feel as though, and I said this before the season even started, Jonu Smith's going to be a good weapon for him. Obviously, I think that this is kind of an outlier game. He's not going to have this. He, this is kind of like his branded LaFell start of the, the beginning of his career with the Patriots where he had the drops and he had those miscues all over the place. I think he'll be okay. Uh, it's just I just don't really trust any of these wide receivers. I don't know if anyone does. I feel pretty good about Byers, honestly. And, like, not in the sense of, like, oh, he's a game break or anything like that. I just think he's a shifty, reliable guy who can get open on, you know, a go-to guy on third and six. Mm -hmm. That you can say, hey, more often than not, he'll be able to get open and make a catch. You know, just, but, again, he's not, like, any type of game breaker. He's not going to win you any games. But he can come up come up pretty big for you as, like, a third option in the slot. That, that's okay. how I see him. I like that. Try and fit into that Edelman-style role. Get open. Be the safety guy. Find the open spots. That's fine. But you need to have a receiver better than him to allow him to f fill into that role. He can't be trying to be out there as your number one threat. That's that's for sure. But we're talking a lot about the offense right now. I do kind of want to switch over to the defensive side of things when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. 
You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap. All right, so I am unfortunately breaking down with my buddy Andrew here the uh, horrible game that happened against the Saints over the weekend. We've been talking about the offensive side of things and how we basically just uh, – I'm fed up with this coaching staff when it comes to the, the play calling that they're doing, especially in the red zone. I think we can both agree on that one here. But now I want to kind of switch it over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, this is one of the things that I thought was going to be a strength, obviously, for this Patriots team. I thought going into this year, we just talked about it in the last segment, we were kind of gearing up to be good on defense and running the ball. Uh, you know, you got good depth or, or help brought in for that front seven. Matthew Judon, great player. He showed that in this game. He really showed up. But I think overall, we've been, whether it's play calling or just execution, obviously there's been some bad penalties, but things like that first Kamara touchdown where he's completely wide, uh, wide open as the dump down option over the middle and walks into the end zone, things like that. Do you think that that's more a play calling thing? Uh, the, the players are not getting used to the system yet? I, I, this, this defense in that front seven, I'm a little upset about it because I was banking on them being the, the focal point of this defense. Yeah, I, th I think we're all kind of banking on that. You know, they just, from the outside looking in on paper, it looked like, oh, wow, like what a stacked group of like versatile guys, that can, that, whether it's the edge, middle linebacker, or guys like, you know, Hightower and Vanoy who can play inside out. I think we were all kind of banking on that. So it's tough to watch them struggle the way they, they have. And I mean, they've, they've shown some flashes, absolutely, but it's just the consistency has to be there. And if it's not, this is going to continue to be the product that you see. For the Camara touchdown in particular, is as bad as that looked on the broadcast, I, I thought it was a great play call by Sean Payton just to beat, beat the coverage they were in. That, that's what it looked like to me anyways. Yeah, could just be Peyton was kind of playing the whole, we always do this, Bill's playing chess, others playing checkers. Maybe he just made the right call there, but uh, it certainly was frustrating to watch it happen, you know, regardless of if it was, it was a blown coverage or just a great play call by the other side. But, I mean, I was I was a little bit happy with our guys up front when it came to the pressures we were getting. We had three different guys get at least three pressures on the uh, on the line there. Dietrich Wise, Christian Bearmore was good to see him getting involved in the game, and then obviously, like I said before, Judon and he got the couple of sacks there, which were I thought going to be big parts of the game. I was excited to see him. Love that guy. Obviously, huge high motor, running all over the field, doing all these crazy things. The long sleeves still kind of throw me off a little bit still, but, you know, he he was good. Barrymore was good, uh, I think, overall, and Wise was solid. Uh, you know, that, that front seven had its moments. I guess you get put into these bad situations with the interceptions and obviously the pick six that doesn't count against the defense, things like that. Do you feel as though there was anyone that stuck out to you that's that kind of stepped up in this game in any? I mean, it's hard to kind of point anyone out like that when you put up t 28 points against us, but did you see, any, see anything you liked? Yeah, just Matt Judon just continues to be, as advertised, worth every penny and then some that they gave yep. him. Whether he's he had a couple tackles for loss, I mean, he sets the edge in the run game, he's, he's getting pressure on the quarterback, obviously he had a few sacks, and just, just overall everything about him. I, he's, his mentality, his body language, just the way that he seems like he is out there, it seems like other people feed off of him and his energy, and mm -hmm. I, just, I think that was a home run signing, and I think he's proved it every game so far this year even last week. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I, I we It's been a while since we had that dominant pass rusher, and he's obviously that for us this year, and so that's going to be good. Uh, and I do say that we got some good pressure there on, on the quarterback. Obviously, Jameis Winston didn't have that great, th great day throwing the ball. What do you have? Only like 140-something yards passing the ball. He had that ridiculous touchdown pass where he was getting sacked by Duggar, and he just kind of threw it up to Callaway in the back of the end zone. I think that was, uh, I, I don't even remember. It wasn't J.C. Jackson. I think it was Jonathan Jones who was trying to cover. Uh, yeah, Callaway and that, yeah. So that that was terrible right there. I thought obviously we had made a play, and then he's just kind of chucking it up there in the game. J Jameis wasn't able to pass whatsoever in this game. He was over three on twenty yards plus passing against this defense. Everything that he had was dink and dunk stuff. So I, I, I mean, I, I thought that overall the the secondary played well, but the run game is something that we gave up on again. Do you think that that was? A little bit by design. This is Belichick in the defense trying to allow a little bit more of the run, not necessarily allow it, but you know what I mean. Kind of stack the six DBs out there and force the team to run the ball to kind of keep the lower scoring game, use a lot of time of possession, that kind of stuff. Or what do you think it is? I mean, something like that's certainly on the table, especially where, like, just based off the personnel that you have, your secondary. It's probably a little bit vulnerable right now, if we're being honest. I mean, yeah, they performed pretty well so far without Stefan Gilmore in there. Obviously, he's a game changer. They haven't exactly faced any like high-flying passing attacks either. You know, they've seen right. league average quarterback play at best and, you know, kind of some middling wide receiver groups. I would think that, I would almost think it would go the other way, but with Bill, a lot of things, it, it can be counterintuitive because he is, you know, three, four, five steps ahead of anything I'm seeing when I'm watching mm -hmm. the game. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it, it, it gets tough when you're trying to dissect what exactly the, the thought process is, is with well, all of that going on. Uh, obviously, Kamara had a really solid game there. He had, uh, you know, only three missed tackles, but I believe he had uh, 60 of his 89 rush yards came after contact. So... That's that's a matter of us getting hands on the player and not being able to tackle him. I know he's shifty and elusive, but I, I don't know. That was obviously the main reason. Besides the major turnovers, it was Kamara being able to kind of slice and dice your defense. Once again, we have another running back slicing up this team, and I'm wondering if this is going to be something going forward or or if it's just game script stuff once again. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, honestly, I, I wish I had an answer for that one because, you know, you – when you watch these games, it sometimes it looks, oh, maybe that was just a good play call by the offense. We were in a bad spot there. You got beat. It happens. It's the NFL. You know, the other other guys are professionals too. But then there's other times when you're like, oh wow, like just got he just got beat. You know, yeah. I mean, the guy just simply got beat. And yeah, that's gonna happen too. But with the kind of money and resources you've invested in this front seven, you don't want to see it happening this much. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that, right, we were, uh, I was going into the year thinking that this could have been a top five defense, top three with Gilmore, and it certainly has not shown itself so far. I, I think that they'll be able to turn things around, and I do kind of want to get into, you know, obviously the, the future of this team and going forward and the obvious looming game that is coming up this weekend. So we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap. All right, so continuing the conversation, and it is here. It is finally the week that I have been dreading since the schedule was announced. It is Brady week. He is coming back to Gillette to face off against his old coach and his old team, the New England Patriots, on Sunday night football starting at 8.20 this Sunday. Uh, I am not looking forward to it whatsoever. 
I think that anyone who is a diehard Patriots fan and, you know, at least came to the, the realization or stuck with the team or whatever you want to say. I know people who try to make fun of that say that you're only rooting for the laundry, blah, 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 all this stuff. We're going to hear everything. Uh, but it's tough. It's a tough situation to be in. I've said it multiple times before. I'll say it again. I feel as though I'm a child going through a divorce with his parents, uh, splitting up. And unfortunately, right now, it feels as though I'm stuck with dad while mom is off, you know, running around town, just, you know, still, <laughs> still running it up, running up the score. And I'm sitting here with dad who's having a beer on the couch and burping. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I, it's not looking great over here in, in, on this side. I want them both to be happy together. It isn't going to be that way. We're going to this series now. How do you feel going into this game uh, Sunday night? Honestly, it's... I'm ready for it to be over. I really am. And I think I think a big part of that is just the big drawn-up media circus that's been surrounding it, trying to create storylines, this and that. And I I looked forward to this game pretty much the whole offseason because I, I looked at the revamped roster and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be good. At Gillette, you know, we have a little advantage there. Mm -hmm. Bill Belichick, he just – a lot of times he seems to have his best games – against these high-flying offenses when nobody thinks he has a chance. I mean, go back to last year against the Chiefs. He did something similar. He held Patrick Mahomes in check for the yep. entire first half and much of the game. Obviously, they ended up losing that one. Now where it's like the Patriots, they don't even look like a competent football team right now. So it kind of takes away from a lot of the wow factor to this game for me, where mm -hmm. it's just like more so than, oh, Tom Brady's return, this and that. I... I don't even care about Brady's return and Brady sticking it to Bill and him running up the score or whatever. I'm more concerned with when you lose this game, you're one and three. Your season is on the brink at that point. And I think that's the bigger story that's kind of being overlooked. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, any true Patriots fan is actually thinking about the Patriots going forward. And as much as it's nice to, uh, you know, say goodbye to Tom, I guess, or whatever, he is coming in here to beat us. He's said it already in interviews. He's coming in here. He knows that the fans are going to know that he's coming in to win this game, and they're probably going to do it. I mean, there's uh, no doubt in my mind, personally, that they're going to win this game, the, the Buccaneers, that is. I feel like maybe if we're lucky, Belichick can scheme up a few things to get some early pressures and, and fluster Brady in the beginning of the game and maybe keep it close. But I, I, I don't see how anyone would actually feel as though the Patriots could actually win this game. So, yes, like you said, I'm just ready to kind of move on. I, I just want to get this over with. I want to get to the next game. I want to move on to Houston and, and, and move on with the rest of the season. But I know we got to talk about it. we got to break it all down. we got to go through all the comments that are being thrown out there. we got to you know listen to every fifth string wide receiver from the practice squad who paid, played with Brady for one day has a story about how Bill's a jerk and Brady's the best and all this stuff and I'm just done with it I, I really am like like you said I, I just want to move on I, we can't but I, I just want to so much of it like everybody's talking about Brady's return the return game this and that it's not really like even a return game for me this is just more closure this is saying goodbye like all right come in do your thing be done with it goodbye I mean, we never, guess, I guess, got to say goodbye because the last time he was in a Patriots uniform, he threw that interception in the Titans game, and then he ran right off the field, and we technically never saw him in a Patriots uniform ever again, right? So we never got to get that goodbye. I know that there's a lot of fans out there, our friends included, who just kind of went with him to be Buccaneers fans and continue to, you know, hope that Brady notices them maybe or something like that and just root along with them, but... I just want to let you guys know Brady's never going to notice you, just by the way. So you're not, you're not going to get that date with Brady that you want desperately and all that. He's just going to go do his own thing. But anyways, 
it's uh, yeah, it's it's not really anything good for us right now. You're going to see a Patriots team that is struggling try to go up against one of the better teams in the league right now in the Buccaneers. I'm worried about this offense for us. I, I like the fact that Ramondre Stevenson is going to be back in the game so that you can take a little pressure off of Damian Harris because I want them to just run, run, run. I don't even really want Mac Jones to pass in this game. I want you to take up as much time as possible because the only way, we know this as Brady fans, the one of the only ways to beat Brady is to take away the ball from him. Don't let him have the ball. T hold time of possession for as long as you can. Keep it as low as scoring as you can and just be in this game. I don't know if they can do it. You just lost James White. That's another option for dump downs and things like that. It's going to be really tough. They're especially tough up the middle, the Buccaneers, that is, on defense. So how are you going to run this ball? I don't know. I I, I, I think it's pretty obvious that I'm flustered. Uh, I'm worried about it. It, it. I shouldn't even be worried about it. I know we're going to lose, but I don't know. This is where I'm at. There are certainly, I don't want to say paths to winning the game. I, I, I don't see the Patriots winning this game, but to keeping it close or even just putting out a respectable effort. Yeah. I think on the defensive side of the ball for the Patriots, it starts first and foremost with pressure, interior pressure specifically. Obviously, we've seen Tom Brady's magician in the pocket, the way he manipulates it, steps up, and navigates his way through the chaos, basically. Mm -hmm. But um, he's always, over the years, been able to just kind of, for the most part, when he has a good offensive line, avoid those edge guys. He's been right. very, very good at avoiding the edge guys. And from watching him for all these years, I know, especially as he gets older and older and less and less mobile, just getting him right up the middle has, it seems to be the way to do it. And granted, the Patriots' interior pass rush has not been great, but mm -hmm. Christian Barrymore, that's what he, what he excelled at in college. He's a great penetrator. He only plays you know limited role right now as he gets accustomed to the life as a professional and everything. But this would be a great breakout game for him if he could... If he could, you know, get in there and get Brady flustered early. And if not, then the rest of it, it's going to have to come off of stunts and twists on the interior from the linebackers. Because, you, yeah. know, you, you know, as great as Matt Judon is, and, you know, even Chase Winovich, uh, Josh Uche, both of them are terrific pass rushers as well. You're just, you're not going to get Brady coming off the edge. you got to get him in that A-gap. Yeah, for sure. No, that's 100% the way to do it. Uh, the only thing that I can envision, and once again, like you said, this is not a path to winning. I don't want any Patriots fans to get excited or anything like that, but is if you get Judon pressuring on the outside or maybe a Winovich or maybe an Uche or something like that, forces Brady up into the pocket as he loves to do, step up in the pocket, and that's when hopefully Bearmore is going to eat. That's that's all I can hope for, and like you said, he maybe has a little bit of a breakout game, gets a couple sacks on Brady. We keep the score a little bit lower, and maybe they only win by a touchdown. I don't know. That's uh, but but yeah, obviously that's that's the way to attack it. I, I don't think that it's going to be able to to work. Do you think that if we had Stephon Gilmore in this game, it kind of changes the whole defensive mindset here because he can at least lock down one player? You're obviously hearing also that uh, Gronk might not be able to go in this one because he's missed two practices in a row. So I, I don't know if that's actually going to be true or not. But if it was a situation where Gronk was out and you had Stephon Gilmore, do you think that this is a game that maybe we could hold them a lot better? on defense you think we could even win maybe in that scenario a absolutely um stefan gilmore like it, it cannot be understated just how much of a game changer he is mm -hmm. he's one of the few people in the league and he's got the size to do it where you could literally just put him on a mike evans and be like hey i, I don't really have to worry about mike evans killing me now right like, i can just focus my attention on okay you know bracket coverage on antonio brown and we'll figure something out for godwin you know obviously not having that it, uh, it changes your whole defensive game plan because now you kind of need an extra body to worry about the passing game, 
to make sure you know you don't get killed deep, which Bill Belichick, if there's one thing he hates on defense, it's getting beat deep on explosive plays. Yep. Patriots just historically very rarely have allowed that to happen to them. On the other side of the ball, I think one of the big things is attacking their secondary. The, yeah. the Bucks have a very depleted secondary. I mean, they just signed Richard Sherman, who was <laughs> a free agent to this point for a reason. They've, they've had some early injuries. They lost Sean Murphy Bunting opening night. They lost, I forget his name, they lost one of their starters last week. Um, they have a primary special teamer, Dee Delaney, taking significant snaps at cornerback right now. Yep. So I, yeah, so I think what we need to do, whether it's Jacoby Myers, whether it's Nelson Aguilar, whoever he is matched up with on any given play, just keep attacking him and attacking him until they say, all right, we're giving him safety help on every single play. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that's going to be one of the only ways to do it. And I, I want to talk more about that offensive game plan when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is the Claptrap. So we are doing it. We are breaking down the Buccaneers versus Patriots game that is coming up this Sunday night. I don't really want to be doing it. I don't think that Andrew wants to be doing it either, but we're doing it. So we've already kind of talked about, uh, you know, a, a little bit of the defensive side of things, what you could possibly do to maybe even slow down Brady, though there's nothing. There is nothing. He is, he is an alien. You can't stop that man. But, uh, you know, on the offensive side of things, Andrew was just alluding to the fact that they are kind of, you know, weak on the outsides, cornerbacks, things like that. We just mentioned how Richard Sherman has now been signed by the Buccaneers. I doubt that he's going to play in this game. I've heard reports that he's going to suit up. I would love that. I hope that you put out there a rusty Richard Sherman to try and cover one of our receivers and maybe somebody can get some separation for once and that can be something for Mac Jones. But in this game, I know I've been complaining, especially this episode, about how this team is built to run. You need to kind of do that. You hold on to the ball and everything like that. But is this the type of game where you need to kind of finally break out five wide or something ridiculous like that and just start trying to throw all over the field to be able to stay in it? I, I think so because, I mean, obviously the Buccaneers defensive line, really their whole front seven is – probably the best in the league, the front seven as a whole. Um, you can make arguments elsewhere for the D-line, but it's one of the top D-line units and probably the best whole front seven in the entire NFL. We've seen them stifle rushing attacks against pretty much everyone they've played this year. And although the Patriots, yeah, they're built to run the ball, at the end of the day, they're not blocking like they're built to run the ball. So, so when, you're, when you're having those kind of issues along the offensive line, you are not going to have any success against a Tampa Bay defensive front right. blocking like that. Yeah, no, it's 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 very true. I mean, obviously, we're not getting what we want there. I did find it, you know, I was happy to hear that everyone was a participant in practice today. I believe the only one, obviously, was James White, and he is gone for the season. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, that makes me hopeful that maybe, you know, Brown's going to be back, and he's going to be able to do something on that right side. And then, you know, maybe if Harris is hitting a little bit, then it opens up the play action at least or something like that. But I don't know. It's it's probably going to be a case of you need to, if you want to be in this game, open up the pass a little bit more, which makes you much more much more susceptible to the bad plays, the, the turnovers, and things like that. But if this team can't stick with Tom Brady, and I'm talking about go for, going forward on fourth downs, and when you're in the red zone, making sure that you're trying to pass into the end zone and things like that, you're just not going to stay with a high-powered Bucks offense the way it is. I, I mentioned before that maybe Gronk will be out, so maybe that's one of the weapons that's out. I still feel like Gronk is probably going to end up playing anyways, but 
it, 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 they have so many weapons, and it's going to be so easy for them to pass all over the place on you that you're going to probably have to pass to stay in it. I, I don't know if we'll be able to do it, but that might have to be the way to go, right? I, I would think so, just the way the game script is projected to go. Although, yeah. it, it, it is a very curious thing. Um, I looked at the uh, Las Vegas spreads at the beginning of the week, and... The Bucks were only favored by five and a half points, which I found really, really mm-hmm. interesting. That that number has since changed to seven, seven and a half, depending on where you look. For whatever reason, the odds makers in Las Vegas seem to think this is going to be a much closer game than I guess a lot of Patriots Nation does. Yeah, I love to hear that. I mean, they, they know usually more than I do. I, I never understand, really, and we're getting into a little bit of a gambling side of things, which there will be the gambling segment for the podcast people out there later on. So make sure to tune in for that when the podca- podcast drops to hear some great gambling tips. But I find it funny how they are always really close. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, there's very little outliers that they don't have the the very close over-under numbers or the very close uh, spread numbers or things like that. So that is... Uh, I mean, it, it, it bodes well if that's the way that they're thinking, right? It, it would bode better for our team. It certainly looks that way. I mean, this if there's any game that's going to be an outlier, this would probably be it. I mean, there's just so right. much just so much at stake and just, like, you know, so many different aspects and angles here, you know? Yeah. Could Tom Brady maybe be too emotional and get in his own head? Very unlikely, but I've heard that narrative tossed around quite a bit. I, I think he's going to come in with an even bigger chip on his shoulder than normal, but still kind of be that calm, cool, collected Tom that we that we knew and loved for all those years. Oh, I'm um, sure he will. I'm sure he will. I, if anything, they're going to have to try and jump on him early. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I've heard that narrative, too, of maybe Tom will be so excited, and that's the reason why the Patriots are going to play a big, uh, you know, heartfelt uh, a video right before the game starts when Tom Brady's out on the field. So maybe you get him a little emotional or something like that, and that'll throw him off because that's been one of the only things that's been able to get to Tom Brady's. He gets a little too excited in, in certain times and things like that. I don't think that that's true. I don't think that in this situation he's going to have anything other than laser focus on absolutely destroying us at all times. You already saw what he was doing in the last game in a meaningless game uh, or, or a meaningless moment, I should say, in the fourth quarter against the Rams last week. He's throwing all over the place in what seems like only a stat grab at that point. And yes, maybe I'm a little sour on it because I had the under in that game and he got a meaningless touchdown at the end for no reason, even though you're completely out of it, Tom. What the heck are you doing? But anyways... <laughs> It's just like he's he's going for the throat at every moment that he can. Statistically, it seems he ended up passing for over 400 yards in that one because they just kept throwing all over the place. He only needs 69 yards, I believe, to break the all-time passing record in this game. He could do that on the first possession, for all we know, on that one. And that kind of brings me to another th- question that I wanted to ask you. There, do you think that there's going to be anything of a fanfare moment, stop the game kind of thing? Like, uh, you, you know, obviously, if it happens in the middle of a drive or something like that you can't stop it but how big of an ovation do you think he's going to get if it's on a touchdown pass that he breaks a record you think they'll stop it for a while i'm not sure i could really see that one going either way i bet i would put my money on Kraft absolutely wants to do something for him and honor him he loves brady like a son he said that multiple times and obviously bill belichick is going to be like absolutely not we're not getting involved in that nonsense so it really comes down to i guess what Probably what Kraft wants to do, depending on what it happens. But, I mean, if Bill goes to him and says, hey, like, strategically, trust me, we need to not do this and act like it didn't happen. Right. M- maybe Kraft will listen there. I don't know. I'm sure the fans, the fans are going to let him know. They'll be cheering, even though, you know, he's an opponent, he's back, he laughed, all that. 
in that special moment, I think Gillette's going to probably erupt. Most likely, if it was on a touchdown pass, I'm really hoping that it's during a drive. I'm really hoping that it's in a situation, you know, where, where they, they need to just, like, be in a hurry up or something for some reason. Or maybe Tom's doing that for some reason. And, uh, you know, even if it's in the first quarter and they just kind of breeze right by it without anything happening. I don't want to take five minutes out of the game just to do that. So I'm hoping it's not on a touchdown pass. But you kind of alluded to another thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was the whole crowd scenario there. When Tom gets out there... There, what do you think the percentage is going to be? Because uh, there's going to be some boos. I already know that there are going to be some boos. It's not going to be all straight cheering for him. Do you think it's going to be, you know, 90% uh, cheering, 10% booing? What, like, where do you think it's going to be at percentage-wise? 90% was what I was just thinking as you were asking. So I think, um, yeah, there's always going to be a small contingent of people that do that. But ultimately, like, he, he brought 20 years of unprecedented success to the area. Giving him anything but innovation before the game or after is just, there's no need for it. You know what yeah. I mean? There's just, during the game is a whole nother thing. Right. Boo him all you want during the game. You know, get as loud as you can on third downs for him during the game. Anything before and after, I mean, just got to show him the appreciation, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree with you, and I think that's what a rational fan, even a rational diehard Patriots fan who is rooting against Tom in this game and everything like that, uh, is going to feel that way. But I will say, there is something to be thought about, the fact that they actually, and I'm not comparing this player in overall legacy or anything like that, but what they did to Adam Vinatieri when he came back and booed him off the field, basically, during that scenario, I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of Patriots fans, a lot more than people think, that are actually going to be booing, even right out the gate on this one. So maybe it's only going to be like 30% of the crowd, but I think it's going to be more than people expect. Uh, like I said, once again, this is, the, this is the same crowd that booed Adam Vinatieri for, I can't even think of a reason why they would do that. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's an excellent point. I think the only thing I would think of that would make me still lean towards most people are going to cheer for Brady is the simple fact of how much these tickets cost. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, like you, you're not going to spend money just to show up like that kind of money to show up and boo the guy. You know, the, yeah. most of the people that are not season ticket holders that are going to this game are going like, because it's Brady. Like, I love True. Tom Brady. I want to go see him play his probably his last time in his career at Gillette. And so I think it's going to just be more fans. I mean, if you were to, pull the entire fan base i think the numbers would be a lot more skewed towards people that are angry and that would boo if they mm -hmm. were attending the game but i think of actual people attending the game i i can't see it being much more than 15 maybe 20 percent i think it'll be about 10 yeah that, you know that reacts negatively towards tom no, I think you're probably right, and that's probably how it's going to go. But uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is the Claptrap. All right, so we are slowly and uh, you know mercifully getting through this whole episode here, talking about the Tom Brady situation, Tom Brady coming back to Gillette, the game that's happening Sunday night. And what that is sparking is a lot of people questioning a lot of things, right? And uh, we have our buddy Mendez, who had some awesome questions that he wanted to submit if you guys have listened to the podcast and the gambling segment that is the mendez that actually makes some of the picks as well he always gives us some good questions to kind of answer here so i wanted to get through these questions kind of go through it with you andrew get what our opinions are on these answers here and we're going to see uh, what we come up with here so the first question that he has and these are all related to the Patriots and the, the dynasty and all things that happened uh, during the 20 years that were with the Patriots, with Be uh, Brady, Belichick, all of that. But how many rings 
would Bill Belichick have won with Drew Bledsoe? It's a tough one. I mean, it, it really is, because there's a part of me that wants to actually say zero, and there's a part of me that wants to say one. And my reasoning for that is by the time Bill Belichick came to New England, Drew Bledsoe was either seven or eight seasons into his career. Mm-hmm. So he was about roughly halfway through what you could reasonably expect for somebody from that era to play. Obviously, the Tom Brady, 21 years is an anomaly. Right. I think the the first year and three games or whatever it was that, um, that Bledsoe was starting before he got injured, the Patriots weren't that great. They weren't doing very well at all. And it, it took the Bledsoe injury and Brady coming in, to me at least, it seemed like the whole team rallied around the fact that, hey, we have this unproven sixth-round quarterback. Like, we got to do everything we can right. to make things easier on him. I, I think the team rallied around that. And I'm not sure that you win the 03 and 04 Super Bowls if you didn't come together for that 2001 Super Bowl. And yeah. I don't think they, they would have won the Super Bowl in 2001 with Drew Bledsoe. I don't. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great way to put it because the way I was thinking of it was I was going to say one. I think that he could have won one. And I think if anything, he would have won the 2004 Super Bowl because that team was absolutely loaded. You probably could have put a bunch of different quarterbacks on that team and they could have won that Super Bowl. That would be the one that I would look at for him to do it. But you're right. If that first one doesn't happen, do you ever get to that position where you can even make that 2004 team? Does does everything come together? Uh, you know, if it doesn't start in 2001. So uh, you're, you're probably right. It's probably a zero. If, if I was going to say, if it was going to be the same exact teams every single year, I think 2004 you win with uh, with Bledsoe or Brady or, uh, you know, I don't even care, Rich Gannon. I don't know. So that's that's yeah, kind of where I, I'm at with that one. I agree with that. Like, like you said, the only thing is, do you have that team if they didn't win in 2001? Like, do you sign Rodney Harrison if you didn't win that first Super Bowl? Right. But right. Um, like you said, if you have that exact 2004 team, yeah, you could have put just about anybody in the quarterback and probably won it. That team was just stacked. Yep. Yep. No, that's uh, that's that's a good way to answer that one, I think. But next question is kind of having to do with that whole you said about how injuries was the reason that Brady came in. Well, do you think Bill would have eventually sat Bledsoe for Brady if it wasn't for the injury? I actually do, and I, I, I'm like. 99% positive on that um, for a few reasons. The biggest one is, I don't know if anybody's read the book, The Dynasty, not to be confused with um, the one that just, the hit piece that just came out right. from Seth Wickersham or whatever yep, yep, from yep. ESPN. Um, it, it actually goes over that. And there's been a lot of things leaked over the years too, that after Bledsoe's first season, after Brady's rookie, uh, excuse me, after Belichick's first season, after Brady's rookie year, right. in camp, Belichick was already looking at him like, all right, this guy's the better quarterback than Drew Bledsoe. And I supposedly he had kind of hinted towards Robert Kraft, hey, you know, this this kid's better. But Kraft kind of just said, no, absolutely not. But there's a lot of reports out there that, that Tom Brady would have been the starter probably after the 2001 season mm. had Bledsoe not got hurt. Bill, Bill clearly saw the talent and clearly thought that he was better. It was just really going to come down to a fight with Robert Kraft about the money. Right. Yeah, he saw a player that he could mold, and he, he wanted to be able to use that raw talent that he saw in Brady there. I personally believe that he would have waited until after that season to put him in, kind of like those reports. I feel like he would have been being, uh, or would have been urging, like you said, to you know think about Brady during that season, but I think they would have finished off that season with Bledsoe and then gone into the next year with Brady with a full training camp as him as a starter and all of those things. I feel like he would have been a part of that mindset, and, and, and so Bledsoe wouldn't have been taken out 
midseason, but he would have been taken out that offseason, I believe. The next question that we do have here is, when do you think Belichick deserves to be on the hot seat, or is it a contract for life type of situation? Well, I'm never crazy about the contract for life type of situations. Mm -hmm. Sounds crazy to say this, you know, as it pertains to Bill Belichick. I don't think it's going to happen to Bill Belichick, but we've seen over the years some of the best coaches in the game. Eventually, the game does pass you by. Right. Now, I don't think that's going to happen to Bill, but you can't just give him a lifetime contract because what if the game does? Again, I don't think it will, but it could. I think he's not in the hot seat after this year. I know a lot of people are kind of suggesting that in the media. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's nonsense. You know, last year, it was a reset year. You, obviously, we know that. You had to do it. Had to get your salary cap right. Mm-hmm. And now you have a rookie quarterback. You have to at least give him the chance to, until, I would say, the end of Mac's rookie contract or until it's time to decide whether or not to pick up the fifth-year option because he's a first-round pick. You, you got to give him at least that amount of time. I agree with that. This is you know exactly what... That the reason you bring in a rookie quarterback is to see what you got. So you get a few years because of that based on that. I do, you know, and I, I, I agree with you. I don't like the lifetime contract thing. I feel as though if anyone has it, though, it's probably Belichick. I, and, and yes, I agree that production drastically drops off in these next couple of seasons here. And Mac Jones doesn't seem like he's going the right way. I think that it'll never be the situation where it's you're fired or letting you go or anything like that. But it'll be a heavy nudge towards Belichick from Kraft, and I think that Belichick will kind of see the writing on the wall and probably retire kind of thing. I don't think that it's it would ever be a, yeah, you're fired, you're out, that kind of a thing there, but I think obviously you get a few more years with the rookie quarterback, and then from there, you know, if it's, if it's still drastically dropping, 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 then it's going to be like uh, Kraft sits him down and says, hey, man, I think it's over, and Bill probably already just is snorting and walking out the door at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, Bill, if it comes to that, we'll see the writing on the wall and probably retire. I think Kraft's going to give him at least until he's able to pass uh, Shula's win record. I think yeah. that's a big, big milestone that he wants to hit, whether he'll admit it or not. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, like, again, it's probably like a lifetime type deal because I don't think the game's going to pass him by. Yeah, only a couple of years if he was to... Con- you know, seven and ten, eight mm-hmm. and nine, those types of seasons stacked back to back to back to back, then yeah, you, you do have to look at it even though he's the best to ever do it. Right. No, it's a tough it's a tough situation. And so let's bring it to a lighter note when we come back after this and ask some of the favorite moments of these guys here. Uh, so we'll be back after this on 90.7 WKKL. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is the Claptrap. So We've been doing some questions from our buddy Mendez, uh, talking all about the the Patriots dynasty, the 20 years, things that we like, things that we didn't like, things, situations that we we thought were uh, could have been different or or uh, changed over history. And I think we are going to come to a point right now where we need to get to a lighter note. We've been kind of talking about some downer things, so I want to start it off with our favorite Brady moment. For me, I think hands down, it's. It's got to be the entire fourth quarter of the Super Bowl against Atlanta. I mean, that was just, it was was amazing for a number of reasons. Obviously, the biggest comeback that anybody's ever seen. Um, I myself, I remember watching that game, and it was halftime. I had a Super Bowl party at my house. Everybody was kind of, you know, down in the dumps. They were down 21-3 to at the time. And, 
you know, I had probably had a few too many to drink at that point, you know, <laughs> stress drinking, kind of, you know, depression, whatever you want to call it from, you know, you follow the team all year long and you get to the big game and all of a sudden they fall flat on their face. Of course. It, it, it was tough. And, you know, I had a few too many and I came up with this saying, I said, bet the rent. I kept saying, <laughs> Patriots are going to come back and win this game. Bet the rent, bet the rent, bet the rent. And everyone's rolling their eyes at me. Like, yeah, okay, idiot, you know, whatever. So I decided to put my money where my mouth is on the Patriots to win the game outright. And that ended up paying out almost $1,000 to me. Jeez. So, I mean, thanks uh, for the extra cash, Tom. Yeah. Mine went a little bit differently at halftime. Everyone left. It was me and Matt, who we've had on the podcast here. And I think one other person was involved. Not even my actual roommate who I lived with. Everyone left. Everyone left <laughs> the place and was just like, screw this. My roommate went and, and got some, you know, like McDonald's or something for some hate, hate meal food or something like that. <laughs> and just everyone had given up at that point. I was sitting there, you know, I'm never going to give up on a team at any point, especially that team who we know they've come back from many things there. I also feel as though, as a true fan, if you don't experience the losses, you don't deserve to celebrate the wins. That's just how I feel. I've always felt that way. So you got to kind of almost suffer through it anyways. I also did have money on the game as well. I had put about 500 bucks on the game before the game even started there. So I was invested regardless. I, I needed to see the outcome to this game. Uh, so whatever you want to say about that one, but that was a great moment there. For me personally, though, I'll bring it to another Super Bowl win. And I think that my favorite one of, or, you know, it's one of them, but I would say my favorite moment for Brady is that screaming, jumping around, childlike celebration he had when Malcolm Butler <laughs> intercepted yep. the ball in the Seahawks Super Bowl there. You've seen it many times before. He's screaming like a little girl on the sidelines, jumping up and down. You know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to him in his entire life. I was doing the same exact thing. I, I believe <laughs> I had tackled my then at that time girlfriend like into a closet at that moment. I was so excited. It was ridiculous, uh, you know, jumping around. Might be like why that. she's her ex. Yeah, right. Could have been a part. We broke up a couple weeks later. Oh, I never really thought about that. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, that was my one of my favorite moments, uh, probably my favorite moment, just because the amount of, you know, anxiety and everything that led up to that one moment. And then it was just like he was just like us, just a fan watching and so excited that our team just won a Super Bowl. That's where I was at. Yeah, I, I thought about going with that as my moment, too. I mean, with Tom Brady, obviously, there's just there's so many to choose from. There's yep. a million of them. You know, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. So that's uh, it, you can't go wrong there. But now I have to get to a point where we're going to ask a question. And this was a question posed by Mendez here. I don't even know how you're going to be able to answer it. I was, uh, you know, trying to answer it my best. But what is your least favorite Brady moment? Is there one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the big obvious one, and it's a little bit of a cop out. I'm going to say when he put that note on Instagram that he was leaving New England. That was mm. by far the worst one for me. For a non-cop-out moment like that, I'll go with week one of 2008 when he tore his ACL. Oof, yeah, yeah, those are, yeah, it, obviously to see him leave, it hurt him, obviously, in a physical sense, and then, you know, the, the Instagram posts, those are all bad there, so bad situations overall. I gotta say, though, this is probably not gonna go over well, but my least favorite moment for Brady is when he changed his whole attitude about going to the off-season workouts, 
because that to me clearly signified the end of Brady's run in New England there. It was just, you know, a matter of it finally going through at that point, but he was one foot out the door. He was, you know what? All right, I've had enough of the way that Belichick's been treating me. Whatever you want to say about that whole thing, he stopped showing up to the, uh, you know, optional uh, workouts during the the summertime there, uh, and that just signified the end to me. So that was my least favorite moment because I knew it was over at that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a really good one to pick. I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, so that's a that's a tough one there. But let's get away from the the bad things. Let's get back to a cheerful thing. We're gonna bring it to Belichick though. What is your favorite Belichick moment? I mean, this one's probably probably a little corny, but I would say 2007 when he traded for Randy Moss because Randy Moss was my favorite non-Patriot player all time at Love the time. It. And um, obviously, we saw how that worked out for the Patriots. Worked out very well. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I mean, you can't, it, it worked out about as good as it could. It worked about, about like 98% as good as it could, right? Right all the way down to the end. Yeah, uh, pretty much. You know, you wish maybe you had gotten a few more defensive players or something or somebody who could have at least stopped Flaxico Burris in the corner of the end zone. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something like that, but... Yeah, that's a great one there. My favorite Belichick moment, and I, I think maybe this is kind of a cop-out too a little bit, but really it's any interaction that he's ever had with me with media members where he just basically dominates the whole thing. You can say he's a jerk. I always love the fact that he just doesn't even give a crap about anything that the you know that certain uh, media members have to say. Even this most recent one where he was cutting off the reporter who was asking the dumb question about Brady, and then he just started praising Brady. I think the reporter asked, like, hey, is it hard to you know, game plan against Tom Brady. He's like, yeah, of course it is, you idiot. I mean, obviously, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, you dummy. But, like, so I just loved all the – I love all those interactions. I eat it up whenever Belichick's a jerk. I know that I probably shouldn't like that if I'm trying to get into media because he's going against media people, but I just love it. I don't know about you. I did too. I mean, it's funny, and I think – you know, you, you know at this point you're not getting the answers you want out of him when you ask him these questions. You know right. the kind of reaction he's going to have to certain types of questions. And, yeah, I get it. It's your job. You have to ask him. So it's like just roll the punches, laugh at it, take it for what it is. Don't, don't get offended. Yeah. No, that's actually that's one of my favorite parts is they get so offended by it. It's like he's been doing this since day one, guys. He's just a jerk. Do You don't get it. You, you're expecting that is the, the, the definition of insanity, right? Going over and over the same and expecting different results. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, in from in Bill's defense, it's like, what do you want him to do? Give you a copy of the game plan? Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I, I what's the point of even doing it? Just satisfying the media members, I, I whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed that about him. But we got to get to the, the other question side of this whole thing. What is your least favorite Belichick moment? Um, the cop-out answer is the moment that he decided to let Tom Brady walk out the door to give you something that doesn't have to do with that event, because I feel like I keep coming back to that. Probably every time he reaches on a second-round DB in the draft that everybody else had ranked in, like, the sixth or seventh round. Right. Yeah. No, the the drafting is, is definitely, you could just, his whole entire... Basically, anything he's not drafting that's a linebacker, I, I'm, you know, you're holding your breath, I think. Yeah, pretty much. That and uh, offensive line, they seem to yeah. just keep churning out gems from the middle and late rounds at that position. Solid at those as well. But uh, my least favorite Belichick moment, and I mean, it, it's just an infamous bad mistake by him, and I just hated it. And, and you could say, you know, it's during the regular season. It's not as impactful, but fourth and two. Fourth and two at the Colts in 2009, one of the worst decisions, I think. that. And I guess maybe you could kind of say that it wasn't fully on him. He's not 
as much running the offense, but it, you know, it comes down to the coach at the end of the day. You can't make that decision. You're backed up in your own side of the field there. Fourth and two, you go for it on the little dump off to Falk, and he doesn't get it. So that that's my, my call is the fourth and two at the Colts, uh, 2009. I believe it was week 10. Yeah, that uh, that one left a bad taste in my mouth as well. I mean, I on one hand, I get the logic. Yeah, you don't trust your defense in that situation to stop Peyton Manning. I probably wouldn't have either. But you can't call a play with the guy catching the ball being short of the sticks. Yeah. Not in that situation. You can't Thank do you. it. That's that's it. That's I mean, yeah, run a couple of routes that are over. It's it's fourth and two. You can't dump it into the backfield. You just can't. You can't do it, I, I, whatever it is. So, yeah, that would, that would be my, my major least favorite moment for Belichick there. But those were the questions. I think that that was a pretty good little segment there. And we're going to bring it to an end for this radio show here. We do have the gambling segment that we're going to be bringing up. So if you do want to follow along on the podcast, it is The Claptrap. You can find it wherever podcasts are, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of those. So go ahead and search that. Uh, We are also on Twitter at The Claptrap, giving out any of the information. We also have Andrew at Patriots underscore Andrew. He's got some great tweets and everything like that that are cracking me up while I'm watching the game, but also cursing at you when you're coming up with these great things like, is this what it's like to follow the Jets? Things like that. That's, that's how I felt. It was that's, sloppy, inept football, and that's just not that's not the product I'm used to seeing from the Patriots. 100%. No, I, I agree with that. And so give him a follow as well. We'll be back again next week to talk more about what happens in this horrible game when the Patriots get destroyed inevitably by the Buccaneers. But uh, we will talk to you later. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. The What could be the last big run for this core of players. This is the last year for Patrice Bergeron. Uh, he is on, or he's on the last year of his contract, at least, as of right now. That's your captain right there. Uh, we got some new players, new faces. You got a new goalie that we're going to have to be seeing, what he's going to be able to do, and Olmark. I'm, ex- I'm extremely excited to see what he can do after coming from such a bad team. We've t- I talked about it before towards the end of the season and then into the, uh, into the offseason there as we got all of these new players. I am uh, excited to see what he can do. The 28-year-old goalie is going to be somebody that we can move forward with, with, with uh, the, the Tuka Raskish situation being what it is with him being injured and us not really knowing kind of, at least from my standpoint, we don't really know where his head's at uh, with everything. It seems like he obviously just wants to play for the Bruins, and that's it. And that'll be the end of his career, which is fine. And I'm all all for that. And I, I, if if Tuca is willing to come back and and you know be a very low paid, just want to do what I can for the team kind of guy. But I really want to see what this Olmark guy, uh, Linus Olmark, uh, is going to be for this team because he is going to be what I think is going to be the the future or the or the uh, the bridge that is going to go on into the next goaltender, right? So. If it's not him, because he's he's 28, so still pretty young. But you say that he's got a four-year contract. He plays that out. Maybe he plays a couple of more seasons with the team before they find somebody else. We're going to be looking at new kids to be bringing up throughout. Uh, you know, you got rid of Ladar, uh, but we still have Swayman. So we're going to see what he's going to be. And maybe in a couple of years, he'll be able to take over for Olmark if he's going to be as good as what we've thought he could be from the limited amount of playtime that we saw out of Swayman. But it's just going to be good to have a couple of goalies other than Rask that this team can use, get excited about, and we can start moving forward. Because I think that that's one of the major things, regardless of how the actual players on the roster feel about the goalie in Tuka Rask. 
I think that it's time. I think that a lot of fans have thought that it's time for a while to move on from from Tuka Rask and 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 all seriousness. You, you know, you you can't really fully hate on the performances that he put in. He was a, a consistent, top-tier, regular-season goaltender. He got you two positions to win Stanley Cups. It didn't work out, whether it was not only because of his fault, but, you know, the defense or the offense, the, the, the perfection line isn't showing up, or, or we don't have enough depth on the defensive side of things, so it makes it harder on Rask, whatever it is. You can't always fully blame the goalie as much as I tend to just go negatively against Rask. He did great during his career here, and I want him to, you know, ride off into the sunset now and and understand that you never won a championship, but that's okay. We uh, you 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 got us on some really cool playoff runs that that got us pretty far and very close. And as as frustrating as that is, as you know, Bruins fans know. Sometimes it's just not going to work out that way. You're just not going to be able to be that goalie that can carry a team to a championship. That's okay. So he did a great job. Tuca fans everywhere are going to be the the diehard Tuca fans are still going to be upset. You know that that people have this take of it's time to get rid of Tuca, but it is. It's been time for a few years now. And I don't want to get too much into that rant again, but just wanted to get back into the swing of talking about the Bruins. Like I said, they had just started, uh, or they're about to start preseason this this weekend. They have started training camp and getting everybody onto the ice, all the new people uh, you know, that they're going to be working into the system here. It's going to be interesting to see. I, there's nothing major. I guess you could talk about the fact that Pasternak was seen at the Red Sox game the other day, you know, drinking some beers and things like that. And you can question, is Pasternak's head in the right position? I think that that's a very fair question to ask, being as though uh, as the one of the future pieces of this team it could be a standout, could be a top tier Already kind of is a top-tier offensive weapon in the league, but does he have his head in the right place? Is he trying to progress every single year? What is he? What are his motivations? Is he trying to win? Is he trying to bring the next Stanley Cup to, to the Bruins? Like, you know that per, uh, Bergeron and Marchand, uh, you know, those types of players have been trying to do? Or is he the guy that's just going to try and have a lot of fun uh, along the way, and he's going to be a great offensive talent, and that's awesome, but at the end of the day, his head kind of just isn't in it from that perspective of, I need to be doing everything I can at every single moment, practicing as hard as I can, focusing as much as I can to get us to that next Stanley Cup. I don't know. So, you know, he's going to need to progress uh, mentally or or uh, from a um, an age standpoint, right? We need him to grow up a little bit, I think, in, in some cases there. I'm not going to say that it's the worst thing in the world that the guy was out enjoying his part of his offseason. You know, he's at the Red Sox game, but it's about we're about to start ramping up the season. We're about to get into the actual preseason here. You're going to start having to put your full focus on the team you had your time off in the offseason after getting bounced in the playoffs are you fully focused on this team that's going to be the major factor here we need to get everyone involved Marchand's obviously fully focused but Bergeron's fully focused um you know you're going to bring in guys here that are going to give you a little bit extra oomph I think in the in the uh, third and fourth lines throughout so I'm excited to see what this team can do obviously I do think that once again this is going to be another team that can do really well in the regular season it's all going to come down to what they can do in the playoffs so 
with the additions on defense and offense, is this team going to be able to take it to that next level and make that one last run with this core? I don't know. I'm looking forward to finding out. I am excited to see what they can do. I, I really hope that guys like Pasternak and others can really focus in on what this season could be because like I said this is the last year that Bergeron has on his contract I'm not going to tell you that he's going to retire or that he's not going to come back to the Bruins after this but as of right now this is his last year on the contract so we got to really try and push for one more run with this you know basic core here I am a little upset that Krejci didn't come back that I think is going to be a major hit that's going to play out because I think that him and Taylor Hall were going to work really well together and have that second line really hitting but now we're at a position or in a position where we don't have him we uh, you know we you, you got to bring in new guys like Felino and and all these other uh new new characters that we're going to have a couple of defensemen couple uh, you know, big pieces for the third and fourth lines. I say big pieces, but you know what I mean. Uh, to to bring in more aggression on that fourth line, to bring in more production on that third line is going to be huge for this team. That was one of the things that I kept harping on, especially towards the end of the year going into the playoffs last year. So this is going to be an interesting season, and I'm excited to see what this team can do. I don't know how far they can go. I don't know what kind of uh, play you're going to get from the guys like Pasternak or Tuka Rask when he does eventually come back from injury. I'm hoping they'll be all in because I'm all in. I'm sure you are all in if you're listening as a Bruins fan here, and we're going to have one more run to go with this core, and I love it. I, I love Patrice Bergeron. I think he's the perfect, you know, player. He's the perfect guy that you would want on the Bruins, and I, I think that we need to try and do it for Bergeron. One, one more for Bergeron is what we need to focus in on here. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. Okay, so we have reached the portion of the episode where we are getting into our gambling picks. We've been doing the competition so far. I've got Andrew in uh, with me here to actually talk about our picks and everything that's been going on. Andrew and I are both leading the competition tied at 9-6 and six, uh, so far through it. How, how have you been feeling about your picks overall so far, Andrew? Good for the most part. I mean, obviously, you're putting out the picks that we have in the competition every Sunday or whenever it is on the weekends. But we're also putting out pretty much every primetime game. We're hitting Thursday and Monday nights, too. It's tough seeing myself do so much better in the non-competition picks. You know, I've had a couple undefeated nights and a couple where I've only lost one on props on Monday and Thursday nights, but it was good to get back in the win column this week with a four-on-one week. Yeah, no, that was great for you. Uh, you got right back up there. Like I said, you're tied at the top with me now after I went 5-0 one week and then went 1-4 the next week. Now, I, I did have a bad beat or two, uh, depending on how you look at it there. In, in my picks, and uh, just to kind of, you know, bitch and moan about it real quick, the Chiefs game in, in which, uh, you know, I had over, what was it again? It was like 52 and a half or something like that. It got to 52. They had an extra point to kick. They missed the extra point, and I brutal. lose the game brutal. by .5. It's like that is such a brutal loss. I also count the Rams Bucks uh, under under 55 just barely going over because Brady was just throwing like crazy in the fourth quarter for no reason that pissed me off too I guess that's not as bad as the Chiefs won but you know you know it was it was tough for me to see go from a, a three and two night uh, you know weekend to one and four like that yeah it's a huge swing I mean you would have 
would have been 60% on the weekend and you ended up being 20%. You know, yep. it's, it's a huge swing when it's such a small sample size like that. That's gambling for you. But yep. uh, we're going to get into these week's picks here, and I am going to have you start off, if you don't mind, Andrew, and get us going. I know you probably got some player props for us, and we'll keep it going with the winners here. All right, so my first one, Sunday night, primetime, Mac Jones, over 25 and a half completions. So a lot of my thinking here is, um, A, He's hit this in two out of three games so far. Obviously a small sample size, but the one time he didn't was against the Jets in a 25-6 win where you're not throwing the ball in the fourth. So that's kind of the reasoning for that. With that in mind, the game script here is going to be very good. Obviously, Tampa Bay, high-flying offense, they're going to be scoring a lot of points or projected to be scoring a lot of points. That has Mac throwing the ball a lot. The Bucks secondary isn't very good. It's banged up. And I think where Tampa has given up at least 25 completions in every game so far this year. And on top of that, James White is out. Yeah, you might think on one hand, oh, that there's a safety blanket, but that's going to bring me right into my next one, which is Jacoby Myers, over 58 and a half yards receiving. He's been the target leader in all three games so far this year. Now with James White out, who was basically max safety blanket, Myers is going to probably step into that role and where you're not able to have those short little dump-offs to James White. It's probably going to be some really short, high-percentage type throws over the middle as almost an extension of your run game. And I think Myers is, I think he's going to be the primary beneficiary of that. He's a monster, excuse me, master at finding the soft <laughs> spots in zone, uh, zone coverage. Love it. I don't know how I butchered that. I guess I'm getting in the Halloween spirit a little <laughs> early. I don't know. Okay, I um, like that. I like that. The other thing is the Patriots aren't likely to find very much success on the ground here. So they're going to be throwing a lot. I think that's going to, like I said, Mac over 24 and a half. And I think Jacoby Myers is going to be the primary guy that he's going to, the guy that he trusts. They've obviously have developed quite a rapport there. So yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Next one going with Sam Darnold over 34 and a half pass attempts. Same thing. He's hit this in two out of three games. The one game that he didn't, he had 34. With Christian McCaffrey out, I think they're unlikely to run quite as often. They... You know, the narrative that you keep hearing about the Panthers, oh, they haven't trailed yet this season. You know, they're four and a half point underdogs this week, so they're going to probably be probably be passing a good amount, more so than they have. And it's going to be a fast-paced game with shootout potential going against the Cowboys, another high-powered offense. My fourth pick, and this will be it for the player props on this one, Mike Jacecki over two and a half receptions. Now, he hasn't had a ton of usage this year. I know he was like a popular fantasy breakout candidate last year. And he's kind of just flown under the radar ever since. But with Tua out, it's a very short passing offense. That's what Brissett likes to do. Yep. And you know, I saw from limited action here in New England and when he was with the Colts, he likes to target his, t- his tight ends with like short, high percentage throws. And I think there's going to be a lot of that going on. Sure. Getting into my final pick, this is a spread. It's Raiders plus three and a half on Monday night. Divisional primetime game, Josh Jacobs is probably gonna be back. Divisional games always tend to be a lot closer than people anticipate. The teams are just so familiar with each other. The Raiders team, they, they just seem to be greater than the sum of their parts this year. And the big thing is you gotta get this number before it moves because it's plus three and a half right now as of recording, but by Sunday, maybe even Saturday, this is gonna move to three, maybe even two. Well, not two, two and a half by Monday. Right. So the big thing with, with getting this number early is you want to beat the closing line value. Vegas is so efficient at what they do that if you're not getting the best number possible, or at least getting a better number than where their most efficient line, which is the closing line, 
is, you're, you're not going to be successful long term, even if you win that individual bet. Yeah. So, yeah, the big thing is, if you're going to fa- if you're going to follow, get on it, get on it as soon as you can, as soon as you hear this, because the plus three and a half is not going to last long. I think that's a great point. We were just talking about that before we started recording this. It's the, the kind of thing where that's why we're trying to get our picks out there as quickly as possible, that whether you're fading or following, regardless, you want to get that number as quickly as you can. So, yeah, because the, the closer you get to the game, things happen. Numbers are going to change. You know, sharps are going to bet one way or the other, change the whole entire scheme. And so you got to get on it as quickly as possible. That's a great point by you. Yeah, and so a lot of why I've geared most of this competition towards player props is by the time we're recording... I've already bet earlier in the week, and that number is no longer available, so I'm right. not going to put that out there. Yeah. No, no, it makes sense. It, it makes a lot of sense there. And I would hope any of the actual you know, legitimate gamblers out there already know that. But if you're a newer gambler to it and, and you're not understanding that they do change, and obviously you see us put in certain numbers on Friday, and then all of a sudden by Sunday they're changed, that's the reason why. you got to listen as quickly as you can and jump right on those numbers. But those are some great picks. This is going to be your first non-prop pick in the, the Sunday picks there, so that'll be pretty cool to see how that one goes. And I, I think that you got some really good ones there, especially with the Mac Jones-Myers connection there. That, that's going to be a good one. So excited to see how you do there. Hopefully not better than me. Let's get over to my picks <laughs> in this one here. As I said before, uh, Andrew and I are tied at the top at 9-6 and six on our picks for the Sunday game so far. With this in mind, I am going to start off with the Cowboys minus four and a half at home against the Panthers. I just am convinced that the Panthers are, you know, I think everybody knows that they're not a real 3-0 and team. They just lost Christian McCaffrey. I don't have any faith that Chubba Hubbard is going to be able to take over that role the same way Mike Davis kind of did last year for them. I believe that even though... You're probably going to have Sam Darnold passing all over the place or trying to at least. I think that that Cowboys defense is going to be able to stay in the game with them. I think it's more about the Cowboys offense at the end of the day. Zeke Elliott is running like he's mad at everybody. You got the two obvious wide receivers in CeeDee Lamb and, and Cooper there. And Dak is an absolute monster early in the year, so I think that they're going to score a lot of points. I also think that even though that Cowboys defense isn't that great, they're going to be able to hold Darnold and and that team to you know maybe in the t- low twenties or something like that, where they score up in the thirties. So I'm taking uh, Cowboys minus four and a half at home in that first one there. The next one that I'm going to give you is going to be Cardinals-Rams, under 55 points in this one. These are two high-powered offenses, but they also have at least, well, we all know that the Rams' defense is really good. I think that the Cardinals' defense is is also pretty solid this year. That might not be a shocker to anybody out there, but obviously they have some good weapons on both sides of the ball. I think that you're dealing with a Rams team that is going to be off of a very big high beating that Buccaneers team last week. They gave kind of everything that they could to beat that Bucks team, and they did it. So now you're going to be set up for kind of a letdown here. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals actually win this game too, but I'm just going to stick with the under 55 points. I think it's going to be a closer defensive battle in this one here. Moving on to the next pick is going to be the Steelers-Packers game. I am going over 45.5 points in this one here. 
Ben Roethlisberger, as much as I was hating on him last week going into that game because I felt that the Bengals were going to pounce on an old Ben Roethlisberger who just doesn't have it anymore, I think they will kind of bounce back a little bit here and at least be able to score some points somewhere in the 20s in this one. And then I'm convinced that, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is on the FU tour, kind of like Brady has been on there. So at this point, he's just going to be trying to get as many points as he can. I think that that offense is starting to click really well there. I'm not convinced on their defense overall. So I think that, that one's going to go over the low number of 45 and a half points in that one there. The next game I'm going to go with is Ravens plus one at the Broncos. I think the Ravens basically have a horseshoe stuck so far up their butts right now that they just, I, I know that they're two and one, but you lost to, I believe the Chargers in that week one game, or I forget who their week one opponent was that they lost to, but that was a close game. You beat the Chiefs. You have that game against the Lions where you're kicking a, a record-tying or record-breaking 66-yard field goal for the win at the very end there. The Broncos team, even though it has a good defense solidly so far, I, they haven't played a team like the Ravens yet. I think that they're going to be able to score on them, and I'm not convinced that the Broncos offense is going to be able to keep up with that. So I'll take the, the plus one there for the Ravens at the Broncos. Last game I'm going to go with is that Raiders-Chargers game. I'm going over 52 and a half points in that one. I think that Carr has been lighting things up. I think that the, the Chargers have some really good weapons. You have the breakout year of Mike Williams on top of having some other really good weapons for that Chargers team. Herbert seems like he's at least pretty legit. I think that overall these teams are going to be able to score some points here and it's going to go over that 52 and a half in that game and I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, like Andrew said that the Raiders are going to win this one here or at least cover that spread too. So that's where I'm at with those picks right there. We're going to get into the rest of the guys picks right now. First up we have Cam. Hey y'all it's Cam with the five picks for the week. All of them are in college. We'll start with Arkansas plus 18 against Georgia. Georgia quarterback is a little bit injured he's gonna play but i don't think he's 100 percent. and 18 points is too many when the over under is only 50 plus arkansas is still not getting the respect they deserve next up is cincinnati minus one and a half notre dame's qb is hurt i think he's gonna play too but he's also not 100 percent. notre dame's offensive line has not been good this year and cincinnati is the best pass rush in the country so i think it's gonna be hard for notre dame to score Next is Nevada plus six. I think these teams are pretty even. Definitely take the six points. Nevada has a better quarterback. It should be a first or second round pick. And Boise has some key injuries on defense. I think Nevada wins us out, right? I'll definitely take the plus six. Next is Mississippi plus 14 and a half against Alabama. Lane Kiffin always has, seems to find a way to light up Nick Saban. And Ole Miss quarterback is Heisman frontrunner. And I just think it's going to be hard for... Alabama, with their defense being a little worse this year than it usually is, to cover that number. And the last one is Auburn, plus three and a half against LSU. LSU's quarterback is pretty terrible, and Auburn has the best pass defense in the country, so I think it's going to be pretty hard for LSU to score points. So to recap, we have Arkansas, plus 18, Cincinnati, minus one and a half, Nevada, plus six, Mississippi, plus 14 and a half, and Auburn, plus three and a half. All right, great job as always by Cam. Always love his picks. Hey, y'all, it's Cam. But let's move on over to Matt now. Hey, y'all, it's Matt. We got five picks for everyone this week. You know, we're bouncing back. We went from, what, one and four to three and two. And aside from the hook killed us last week, if you if you bought down the hook on that, 
that Raiders game, you'd have, you'd have been a winner, you'd have been a push. But in any case, you know, we're, we're definitely trending back in the right direction. A couple of three and two weeks, and a couple of winning weeks. So for this week, week four, I've got five picks for you. First is Cleveland minus two in Minnesota. I think the Minnesota defense is just porous. I think whether or not Cleveland doesn't really rely on their air attack anyways, they've got great, you know, the ability to run the ball greatly. And I think that's going to prove that Cleveland goes into Minnesota, wins the game, and covers the two points. Second game, Detroit plus three in Chicago. I think there's a lot to be left, a lot left that people want with Chicago and the quarterback change and their ability to get things done. I think Detroit's riding high. I think that, you know, they, they believe that you know, they've got these wet, this win under the belt, that they can actually go into Chicago and make it happen. They're getting the plus three. You know, the, that line says if it weren't in Chicago, it would be a pick I think, you know, if you've got a crowd that's apt to boo the rookie quarterback. So I think there's, you know, a good possibility for Detroit to win outright, but take it with the point. Next pick, L.A. Rams minus four and a half at home. I heard somewhere this morning that McVay is, is got an unbelievable record against Arizona. So the way that that team is playing, you know, they seem to be the team to beat in the NFC right now. Although I love Arizona and what they've been able to do so far this season, I think that the Rams have a legitimate shot at, at, at covering this and, and maybe even blowing it open. So LA Rams minus four and a half. Next one, New Orleans minus seven at home against the Giants. Now, by normal logic, I would tell you this is the Jameis Winston team. They, they go hot, cold, hot, cold. They started off hot against the Packers, blew it against the Panthers, had a very easy and impressive win against the Patriots. So one would now think, yeah, he's going to go cold again. Except this is going to be an emotional game. This is the return home to the Superdome. Keep the Caesars Superdome. I, as much as I would want to say this is, all right, now it's time for Jameis to have his off game, I think that the emotional return to the, to the Dome, yeah, this is going to be huge for, huge for them. It's going to be rocking in there. You know, Daniel Jones won't be able to hear his play calls. He's just going to be trying to scramble as best he can. So I do say New Orleans minus seven at home against the Giants. My last pick and a pick that if it's a game everyone's going to be watching. The big game that everyone's talking about this week, the Pats, yeah, they're hosting the Bucks. Brady's big return. But the fact that the books are so adamant of having that uh, minus seven number with Tampa State steady, you know, you know they, they want money on the Bucks. They want to see that money, that they, which tells me that they know something about the Pats are really going to be in this game, on, uh, the way they view it. And if that's going to be the case, then... There's no way this is going to be a shootout. We saw what Matt Jones could, can and cannot do when he tried to air it out last week against the Saints. So with this game, I'm going to go the under under 49 pass bucks. This seems like it's pass has hit under all three games this year. And if the, the way the books are setting up and the lines are setting up, I think this is the lock, my lock of the week. So that's my thoughts. Um, hopefully everyone makes the money with me. Bye, y'all. Okay, you heard Matt's picks there. Has some good ones for you, and we needed to get to one last person's picks. He is unfortunately out of the country on vacation right now, so I'm going to do Dan's picks for him, Mendez's picks. He is going to be starting off with Tampa Bay minus 7 at New England. Like in that Tampa Bay team in this one, I can't say that I fault him uh, because I, I personally feel as though the, the Patriots are going to get stomped in this one, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, next pick for him is Seattle plus 3 at San Francisco. Must be liking that Russell Wilson magic there. Next one he's got is Kansas City minus 7 at Philly. 
I think that's a great pick there because Kansas City, as I've said earlier in this episode, is going to be kind of taking out their frustrations from a bad loss last week on a Philadelphia team that's not going to be able to hang. Uh, number four pick is going to be Indianapolis Colts plus two at Miami. He is thinking that Miami is done, apparently. I'm not surprised about that one, too, especially without Tua in there. It's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back and continue to keep going forward with that team there. So Colts plus two at Miami is that pick. Last pick for him is going to be Detroit Lions plus two and a half at Chicago Bears. Must be thinking that with the uh, the Bears and their rookie quarterback situation, how porous they've been looking, that it's going to be something that Detroit and Goff and that uh, offense and defense can handle. So those are the picks for Mendez. Those are the picks for the week. I appreciate everyone for tuning into the episode. This is going to be up on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts, really. So just search The Claptrap. You'll be able to find this every single week at 2 o'clock on Fridays. Uh, so I appreciate that. Once again, everybody tuning in, and we will be back again next week. See you later.